Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you if we haven't met yet, which I think is most of you. <laughs> My name is Jeff, and as Michael said, uh, and Virginia said, I'm the pastor at the gathering. We've done a pulpit swap this morning, minus the pulpit. Michael's preaching at the gathering, and you're stuck with he- uh, me here this morning. A little less hair than Michael, a little younger than Michael, but uh, he is quite the silver fox, isn't he, with, with that... Uh, <laughs> silver gray hair. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Well, this morning we're continuing on in our Christmas preparations series. This is a series actually that our two churches, The Gathering and Parkway, have been working on together. Where early on in the week, Michael and I get together and study scripture and map out a sermon each and every week. Well, it's only been two weeks, but it's been fun so far. And this morning in this Advent series that we're in, we're focusing in on the theme of faith as we just saw in the video. And this theme, this topic of faith, it's so relevant to the Christmas story, isn't it? I mean, when you think of Mary, this teenage girl having an angel appear to her and say, guess what? You're going to give birth to the Son of God. Imagine the craziness of that scenario. And then think of her response where she said in Luke 1 verse 38, that I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. What incredible, inspiring faith from this young woman. And then there's her fiancé, Joseph. I mean, imagine the predicament he must have found himself in finding out that his uh, fiancé was pregnant, which was an incredibly taboo thing in this time and in this culture, and he wanted to divorce her or separate from her privately, not make a spectacle of her, but then what happens? An angel appears to Joseph and tells him what's up, and what's his response? Luke, or uh, Matthew um, tells us that he says, may it be as you've said, and he goes on to take Mary to be his wife. Such incredible incredible faith and incredible obedience to God in the midst of really incredibly difficult circumstances. And so for us this morning, we want to wrestle and drill down into this idea of faith and what it is for us to walk in faith. That's really the question that we're going to try to answer here this morning. What does it look like to walk in faith, to have the kind of faith that Mary had, to have the kind of faith that Joseph had, to have faith in Christ, to have faith in God, even when life is really difficult and the future is uncertain and we feel lost. What does it look like to walk in faith? This is a very important question for us to consider this Advent season. It's important for us, whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a Christian, or whether you're not, whether you're just seeking things out and trying to figure out what this whole faith deal is about. It's important if you're a follower of Jesus, because at the end of the day, walking in faith, that's the whole ballgame, isn't it? To follow after Jesus is to walk in faith. That's what we're invited to do as followers of Jesus. And if you're not a believer, if you're not really sure where you're landing in the faith conversation and the conversation about Jesus and the Bible and all this kind of stuff. This is also a very important conversation for you because Jesus is looking to you and inviting you to walk in faith. So we've got to wrestle with what is it to walk in faith, to believe in a God that you can't see, to follow this guy named Jesus and his teachings from 2,000 years ago. Like it kind of seems crazy when you think about it sometimes, doesn't it? 
So what is it to walk in faith? Well, to help us with this question this morning, we want to look at a very famous chapter in the Bible. So if you brought your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is you use to read Scripture, I want to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. It's a chapter in the Bible known as the Hall of Faith chapter where the author of Hebrews just kind of rattles off a bunch of examples from the Old Testament of people who have gone before us and demonstrated for us what it is to walk in faith. We're not going to look at all the examples because there's too many in there to address in the morning, but if you have time, study these stories. Look into these stories in the scriptures because it's fascinating when you read about people like Enoch, if you know his story in the Old Testament, who ended up going up into heaven without dying. And you got people like Noah, who you may know about, Christian or not, the guy who built the ark, because there was a flood coming. People like Joseph from the Old Testament and his multicolor, technicolor coat, right? And the stuff that he had to endure. And people like Rahab and on and on. We could go such great examples of faith listed for us here in Hebrews 11. But the main example that uh, the author of Hebrews gives us here is the example of Abraham. And that's who we're going to talk about here this morning. Father Abraham from the Old Testament. How many know the song? Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. I don't know why Nate didn't choose that one this morning for the worship set. It would have been really appropriate. But yes, we know the story of Abraham. Again, probably whether you're a believer or not, you've heard about this guy named Abraham, Father Abraham. And so we want to look at his example here in Hebrews. But before we get to his example, the author of Hebrews here gives us a really cool, really fascinating definition of what it is that we're talking about when we talk about faith in the first place. So look at verse 1. He provides this definition for us right off the top. I want to look at this before we look at Abraham's example. Here's what faith is according to Hebrews. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Or as the ESV translation puts it, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This is what faith is according to Hebrews 11 verse 1. It's assurance of things hoped for. Or this internal conviction or belief deep within our being of things that have not yet been seen. This is what it is to have faith. And I love that definition because it speaks to the heart of what faith truly is. I don't know for you what you think of when you hear the word faith. But I think in our culture today, people typically assume that when we're talking about faith, we're talking about a head thing. Kind of having a certain set of beliefs about God and about Bible, about the Bible, about Jesus, about different faiths and things like this. And and it's true, there are some you know, head things that we need to embrace if we're going to have faith in Jesus. But when the Bible talks about faith, it talks way less about that side of faith, about the head side of faith, faith, about the cognitive side of faith, and it talks more about the heart side of faith. See, when Hebrews defines faith the way it does here in Hebrews 11 verse 1, it's not talking about a head thing or a cognitive thing. It's talking about a posture of our hearts, having a heart that is ready to trust in Jesus no matter what, no matter where he calls us, no matter what he asks us to do, no matter what he asks us to surrender, that we're going to have a posture of trust in the Lord Jesus. It's why in the very next chapter in Hebrews 12, 
verse 2, it says this, we do this, all this stuff that we're just going to look at briefly in Hebrews 11, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. It's about keeping our eyes on him, or in other words, trusting in him, no matter the circumstances of our life. That is what faith is. But the question still remains, what does this look like for us to trust in him in this way, to walk in faith? Well, this is where Abraham comes into play in Hebrews 11. We want to look at the example of Abraham in this passage, and in particular, we want to look at four faith steps from his story, four faith steps that we can pull from his story and I think apply to our life as we aim to walk in faith and take our next step of faith. Let's look at those four faith steps together, starting with the first one. First one is this, faith obeys by taking the next step. Faith obeys by taking the next step. Look at verse eight. It says this, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. What is the author of Hebrews talking about? He's talking about Genesis 12, when God called Abraham to leave everything behind, to leave his family, his nation, everything that he knew, everything that would have been comfortable to him, to leave it all behind and to go into this new territory towards this new land, this promised land that God would show him along the way. That's a crazy thing, isn't it? Abraham didn't know where he was going. I love that last line here in verse 8. He went without knowing where he was going. No five-year plan, (laughs) no strategic plan, no clarity of kind of where he was going to end up. He just followed God in obedience. He took the next step of faith. That's what faith is. It's to obey God and just take the next step even when you don't know the end result, even when you don't know how things are going to turn out. Now, I don't know about you, but this is really hard for me. <laughs> uh, any control freaks out there? People who like five-year plans and strategic plans and trying to map out their lives and, you know, f- try to figure things out and whatever. Sometimes we call that a, a prophetic gifting, but sometimes I think that uh, we're just trying to figure things out, aren't we? We just want to kind of know what's going to happen. And so we're looking for prophecies and words from God so we can get answers. God doesn't always provide that for us, though, does he? Just just take the next step in obedience to him. Without knowing the end result, just take the next step of faith out of obedience to God. My wife and I, she's not here with me this morning. She's serving. She was on the calendar at the gathering, so she's still there this morning. She gets to hear me every week, so she's not missing all that much. But anyway, she's serving at the gathering. We moved here four and a half years ago. Um, after a long journey of just sensing that God was calling us out. We didn't know where. We didn't know it was Ottawa. We just all of a sudden had this prompting that maybe God had something else in store for us. And we just took the next step, one step at a time. We said to God in prayer as we were trying to discern this, that if any church were to contact us and say that um, they wanted to meet with us and wanted us to be considered to take over the church, that we would say yes, no matter what, to at least having a conversation and then this, this church in Ottawa called. We're from southern Ontario. That's where our family is. And 
all this, this church in Ottawa called, and we didn't want to move to Ottawa. I mean, no offense to people from Ottawa, but it's kind of far, and it's cold, and all this kind of stuff, and and yet we had just committed to God that we needed to take that next step, that if a church were to call, we would at least meet with them and consider whether or not it was God who was leading us. And so we just took that step. I didn't want to do it initially, and my, God had to work at my heart. But God did work in my heart, and we just took that next step. And I'm so grateful that we did, because God has proven himself to be so good and so faithful in this journey as we've tried just to take the next step. Stop worrying about the end result. Stop worrying about where we're going to land and how things are going to turn out in the end. And just trust God with the next step by walking in obedience. So what about you? What's the next thing that perhaps God's inviting you to do? The next step that he's inviting you to take? How is he maybe inviting you to stop worrying about the end result and how it's all going to play out? And what's going to happen here? And financially, how are we going to pay for that thing? And what about our kids? And what about that? How is he inviting you to let that stuff go and surrender it to him and just take the next step in obedience to him and let him guide you along the way? It's what it is to have faith. It's to obey by, by taking the next step, to obey God by taking the next step. Let's look at the second thing here that we learned from Abraham's example. Second example we see here, or faith step we see here, is that faith holds on to the promises of God. That when life seems crazy and it's not turning out how you thought it was supposed to turn out, you cling on to God's promises. Look at Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10. And we could actually keep going and read a couple more verses after this because we see this throughout the story. But we'll start in verse 9. And even when he reached the land God had promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed, built by God. Look at verse 13. All these people died, still believing what God had promised them, but they didn't receive it. They didn't receive what God had promised. They didn't see it. But they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. I love that Abraham follows God's leading. He takes the next step in obedience and probably thought, I mean, I would have thought that everything's going to be peachy, right? You take that next step, you know? What's that that saying? That the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, (laughs) No, that's the most dangerous place to be is in the center of God's will. And I think that's what Abraham saw. That as God led him to this promised land, he found himself as a foreigner and a nomad. He was homeless, living in a tent, waiting for God to fulfill the promise that he had promised him in this promised land. That God would make him into this great nation and that his descendants could not be numbered And yet Abraham didn't quite get to see that, did he? And neither did some of the people he was with. They all died believing that God would fulfill his promise, but they didn't get to see it the way that they hoped that they would. I wonder if you can relate at all with Abraham and some of his descendants here where maybe your vision of your life, maybe even what it is that you think God has promised you or the vision that he has for you in your life. And 
and then reality. Those two things don't match up. You've got your idea of what life should be. You've even got your idea of what you think God wants your life to be, but reality is way over here. Your life does not look how you envisioned it to look. Maybe your marriage has fallen apart. It wasn't how you intended it. It wasn't how you dreamt it up. It wasn't the way you saw God working in your life. Maybe you haven't got married at all. Maybe by this stage in your life, you thought I should be married with X amount of kids and yada, 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 and that hasn't happened yet, and it's disappointing. I I thought this was the way it was supposed to be, but reality is over here. It's not lining up. Or maybe your career path is taking you down a different, or in a different direction than you thought. When you went to school years ago, you had this all mapped out. This is the way my life is going to be. This is the way things are going to look, and Reality is way over here now. Or maybe it's your kids and your dream for your kids, your vision for your kids and how you raise them to be and they're not living into that reality. I wonder if you can relate it all with Abraham here with the vision you had of your life and the vision you believed God had of your life and reality don't match up. How are we to respond to that? Well, to do what Abraham and his descendants did, is to cling to the promises of God, even in the midst of incredible disappointment, even in the midst of unfulfilled promises, and when you can't see God in it at all. It's to cling to him and his promises, what he has said to be true, that, for example, that God has plans, good plans for you and for your life, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, Jeremiah 29, 11 says. Or that God causes all things to work out for good for those who love and trust in him, as Romans 8, 28 tells us, that even when life is in the pits and we're disappointed in life, reality is over here and our vision for life is over there, God's at work causing all things to work together for our good, to cling to that promise in the midst of that. It's to understand or to believe, to cling to the promise that God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory, not according to yours, but according to his. That when you're wondering where God is and there's more uh, rent at the end of the month than there is money (laughs) or whatever it is, that God will provide for you. He promises to take care of you because you're his kid. He loves you. He's a good father. Or maybe it's just to cling to the simple truth that he loves you, period. He loves you. And that nothing in this whole world can separate you from his love, as Romans 8 tells us. And on and on we could go looking at the promises of God in Scripture to you and to me. To walk in faith is to cling to the promises of his word even when everything in life seems to be falling apart, when reality is over here and our vision for life is over here. That's what we see in Abraham. Now, that doesn't mean you won't ever doubt God's goodness or that you won't doubt God's ability to pull through and to fulfill his promises. Abraham did. You ever hear of a guy named Ishmael? Right? Abraham had been promised a son, who eventually became Isaac, and that a great nation would come from his line, many descendants, this nation of Israel. 
Well, after years and years, decades of waiting for this son and God not providing the son, what did Abraham and his aging wife Sarah do? They decided that it was best to take matters into their own hands. And so they took their Egyptian slave servant girl, Hagar, and Abraham was with her and conceived a child named Ishmael. And who is Ishmael? He's the patriarch of Islam. And from that line uh, came this nation or, or this religion of uh, Islam, and, and there's been you know, conflict between all these different religions ever since because Abraham took matters into his own hands. Abraham doubted God's goodness. He, he doubted God's ability to pull through. And yet, in Hebrews 11, he's pointed to as a hero of faith, an example for us to follow, which shows us there's going to be times when we doubt. There's going to be times when we are tempted like Abraham was to take matters into our own hands and try to make things happen. But the invitation is to cling to the promises of God, knowing that he is good, he is trustworthy, and we can look to him. That's the second thing that faith is. It's to hold on to the promises of God. The third thing is this from Abraham's example. It's that faith believes that the impossible is possible. That faith believes the impossible is possible. Look at Hebrews 11, starting in verse 11. It says this, It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man, who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore, there was no way to count them. Sarah was, I believe it was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. It took a long time for God to fulfill this promise, but he did. Showing that with God, the impossible is always possible, even though she was well beyond childbearing years. God could still do miracles. God could still fulfill his promise. I don't know if there's any 90-year-olds in the room, and I I don't imagine any 90-year-olds are that excited about the idea of giving birth to another baby at this stage in their life. So I don't know what that was like for Sarah. Maybe she wasn't too happy about the way that God had fulfilled his promise, but nonetheless, he still pulled through because with God, the impossible is always possible. And this shows us that no matter what we're facing in our life, if God has promised something, he's going to do it. He's going to pull through, no matter how impossible the situation may be. God still does miracles today. He did it then, and he does it today. So let me ask you, is there an impossibility in your life that you need to trust God with today. Something you've said, God can't do that. This person's too far gone to come to faith or the situation's too far down that road to be changed or I'm too sick to be healed or my loved one is too sick to be healed. Is there an impossibility in your life that you need to trust God with today? Maybe it's to trust him for a restored and reconciled marriage. I know sometimes as a pastor, I sit with a couple, and there's times I'm tempted because I hear the stories. I'm like, it's impossible. This relationship is too broken. They're too far gone for reconciliation to happen. But then when I read scripture, I'm reminded that with, with God, all things are possible. He can change hearts. 
He can restore lives. He can bring reconciliation even into the most irreconcilable situations. With God, all things are possible. Maybe for you, it's believing for a loved one to come to faith in Christ. Maybe you've been praying for your child or your spouse or your parents or someone in your life who's far from God and you've been praying for them to come to faith in Christ, to to experience his forgiving and redeeming work that he paid for on the cross for each and every one of us. You just haven't seen it yet. They seem too far gone. Well, to believe that with God the impossible is possible is to continue to pray for that person, to believe that God is at work in their life even though we can't see it. I had the joy and privilege just two weeks ago after church to sit down with a, a lady and the friend that she came with to church and she'd been coming for a couple months. In fact, her first Sunday was in August when Pastor Eric was preaching at the gathering. And she came and she came broken. Marriage is in shambles. Life is upside down. And she said, what the heck, I'll give church a try. And so she came to our service. She's a self-described heathen, atheist, wanted nothing to do with God, but was just so broken. She said, I got to do something. I got to give this faith thing a try. And her friend had been praying and praying and praying for her and not seeing any change, not seeing any breakthrough. But here she was at church and she bawled her eyes out through that first church service. And she's come almost every Sunday since then. And just two weeks ago, I sat down with her and was able to explain the gospel to her and walk through that whole process with her and pray with her to receive Christ as her Lord. And she's getting baptized in two weeks at Christmas. So someone who people had said, she'll never come to faith. She can never be changed. She's too far gone. No, she wasn't. No one's ever too far out of reach of God's love. So is there an impossibility in your life that you need to trust God with? It's the third faith step we see in Abraham's example here in Hebrews 11, that faith believes that the impossible is possible. Well, the fourth and final faith step we see from Abraham's example is found in verses 17 and 19, and it's this. It's that faith stays faithful. Faith stays faithful. Let's look at verse 17 through to 19, where it says this. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his own son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead when God provided the ram. Now, this is a really difficult story. If you grew up in the church and you're, you know, maybe you've heard this story a million times, it's so familiar, we kind of lose sight of the fact that it's actually kind of disturbing that Abraham would take his son and place him on an altar. That's a hard story to kind of wrap our heads around. And a lot of people have wondered if it was, in fact, true that God had commanded Abraham to do such a thing. In Genesis, we see that God told him to do this, and so Abraham went off and did these things. And 
put Isaac on the altar. And some have said, well, maybe it wasn't that God actually asked him to do that, but maybe Abraham understood or thought he heard God saying to do this because this was the custom in other cultures and religions in the surrounding areas was to sacrifice children. And so this was something that he was to do. Whatever it is, it's it's a difficult story to come to terms with. But at the end of the day, I think we can all agree that God clearly didn't want Abraham to sacrifice his son. That was not his will for Isaac. It's why, in the story, God provided a ram. That just as Abraham was about to go through with it and had the dagger up, a ram appeared, stuck in a thicket. God provided a ram, a different sacrifice for him. And an angel appeared and said, don't touch the boy, don't do it. And Abraham didn't do it and sacrificed the ram as worship to him. Instead, God never wanted Abraham to sacrifice his son. And yet, at the same time, as we consider this story, as difficult of a story as it is with Isaac on the altar, it does raise an interesting point for us to consider. I mean, think about what it was that Isaac represented to Abraham. The decades that he had waited for this son to be born. The promise of God for, you know, a nation to be born from him, that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky. Think about how perhaps Abraham had placed all his hopes and dreams for a future in this boy, in Isaac, that perhaps Isaac had become a god to Abraham, something that he worshipped, something that he looked to to fulfill his meaning and purpose in life. And by placing Isaac on the altar, as disturbing and difficult as that is, figuratively, what he was actually doing was placing all of his hopes and dreams on the altar, things that he was looking to that wasn't God to to find his meaning and purpose in life, and God provided a ram instead. Raises a good question for us to consider as we talk about faith staying faithful to him. It's one of the things that God might be inviting us to place on the altar, things that we're looking to that are not God to find our ultimate meaning and purpose in. Maybe it's wealth, maybe it's status, maybe it's power, maybe it's stuff, material possessions. What is it that we're looking to to find our ultimate meaning and purpose in that isn't God, that he would invite us to lay on the altar? That's part of the challenge we see in this story. It's what we see Abraham doing. He stayed faithful to God. He said, even if it costs me everything, I will lay it down for the sake of God. I'll put it on the altar. I'll stay faithful to him and believe that even if it means I have to sacrifice my own son, I know he'll provide another way. He'll provide a way forward. He'll raise my son from the dead if that's what it takes. This is what we learn from Abraham, that faith stays faithful. Even when we don't understand what God is up to, even when it doesn't make sense, even when God perhaps invites us to do something that we think is crazy, or he invites us to give up something that we don't want to give up, even in the midst of extreme disappointments and difficulties in life, faith stays faithful to him. Faith worships him as the Lord and leader of our life, not these other things. Faith says, you're number one in my life, God, not this other stuff. Faith stays faithful. So maybe for you, you're in a spot where life is really difficult, confusing. You don't know the way forward. You're asking God, what should I do? What's the next step? 
Well, perhaps he's inviting you just to take the simple next step of obedience to him, to stop worrying about the end result. Maybe he's inviting you to cling to his promises. Right? And maybe he's inviting you to stay faithful to him, believing that with him the impossible is always possible. What does it look like for you to walk in faith? Those are the four faith steps I think we see in Abraham as we think about what it is to walk in faith. Bottom line here this morning is this. The question we asked at the beginning is, what does it look like to walk in faith? Well, I think it's this. As we look at Abraham's example, it's to learn to increasingly trust God with everything, even when everything is uncertain. It's to increasingly trust God. Sometimes we think, I don't have enough faith. I'm not doing it well enough. I don't believe well enough. I've got too many doubts. It's just about increasing faith, taking that next step. How could God maybe want to increase your faith? So it's about learning to increasingly trust God with everything, especially when everything is uncertain. That's what faith is. And that's what we see in Abraham's example. Let me ask you a few reflection questions as we wrap up our time together. Questions I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider before God in your own faith journey. First question is this. What step of faith is God calling you to take in obedience to him today? Just the next step. Don't worry about the end result and what's going to happen if and when and so on. Just the next thing. What's the next step, the next thing? Is it to perhaps be generous in some way that you think really stretches your faith a little bit, stretches your bank account more than you feel comfortable with? Is it to perhaps invite a neighbor or friend or someone who's far from God in your life to a Christmas Eve service or to maybe share your faith with them or whatever? What's just the next thing, the next step of obedience to God that God would be inviting you to take? That's the first question. Second question is this. What is a promise of God that you need to hold on to today? Maybe one of the ones I rattled off earlier from Scripture about how God has plans for you, good plans for you and for your life, plans to prosper and not to harm you, or that God causes all things to work together for good or that he loves you. What's a promise from Scripture that you need to cling on to in the midst of the chaos of your life right now? Next question is this. Is is there an impossibility that you want to bring to the Lord today? Something you've said, humanly speaking, that is not possible. That marriage cannot be saved. That child cannot be changed. That illness cannot be healed. What's an impossibility in your life? Something you've believed is impossible that maybe God's inviting you to surrender to him and say, you know what, with you, perhaps all things are possible. Doesn't mean that everything's going to turn out rosy or how we want it to be. Earlier this year, we said goodbye to my mother-in-law after praying for healing for years for her from cancer. She was 67. Very involved in our children's life. And we saw God's presence along the way, his faithfulness in the midst of it. But sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we think that he should. But you know what? He's still good. He's still faithful. He's still trustworthy. And he can still do the impossible. What's an impossibility? He's inviting you just to surrender to him and leave at his feet and say, God, I believe with you all things are possible. 
And the last question is this, it's what does it look like for you to remain faithful in the midst of the circumstances of your life today? You know, sometimes we pray for our circumstances to change and for God to make this problem go away and for this thing to get better and so on and so forth. And oftentimes God says, just remain faithful to me in the midst of the chaos and the craziness. Put that thing on the altar that you're looking to to find your identity and worth in that isn't me and look to me. Stay faithful to me no matter what. Just keep your eyes focused on me. Let me read Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the, cr- the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated with a place of honor at God's throne. He's the ram that God provided for us. So we keep our eyes on him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you invite us not into this boring life of religious legalism, tradition, but into a life of adventure of faith, where we look to you, we trust in you, we try to grow and depend on you more completely and more fully. God, would you work in us to increasingly place our faith in you, where we've placed our faith in other things, in our own ability, in uh, different circumstances or different people. God, we, we turn away from those things and we look to you. Would you increase our faith this Advent series, or season, as we think of Jesus and what it is that Jesus did for us, what it is that you did for us in sending Jesus, your one and only son, to this world. We want to follow him more fully and more completely, be obedient to him in all things. Make us faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.